Okay, we have started again. It sounds like that test worked fine. I could hear everything. Uh, just a question real quick. Can you, can you hear noises in my background? No, I do not. Okay. Uh, I think I, there, there are some. I've got something going on back there, but uh, I'm just going to not worry about it. Uh, the, the software I've been using now also does some noise removal, so it might get rid of it anyway. And if no. not, oh, well. Okay. Uh, close the door, please. We're going to start for real now, Alex. It blocks background noise. Please close the door. I don't want to. Close the door or get out entirely. Eh, I can't reach it. Do you want any of my attention after podcast? Yeah. Okay, close the door. Maybe later. Close the door. Maybe later. Like a couple seconds later would be fine. A few hours? No, close the door. Ten minutes. Close the door. Go. Thank you. And leave it closed. Testing one, two, three. Okay, here we go. Uh, now, unlike last time you did this ad, I think, um, like when I do the breaks and stuff, I actually play them live into the recording and you can hear them and everything. All so right. Instead of just like pausing for a second and then restarting, uh, we will actually listen to the break and song or the together. Fantastic. Okay. <clears throat> so and I won't. I won't touch my mute button, so you don't have to yell at me. Oh well. Here's the thing. I you have to touch the mute button. That's oh, the problem. I do. So, like when I start the break or the song or whatever, I will mute you from my end. Oh, okay. But I can mute you, but only you can unmute yourself. Oh, I see. I I can't unmute you. Only you can unmute you. So that's what it does. Okay. No wonder right. it keeps forgetting. Right. So I am going to, in just a second, mute both of us, then start the intro music. Then I will unmute myself. I will start talking, and then I will say hi, Ed, or something, and it'll be time for you to say hi. And okay. right and right. When I start talking, you should unmute yourself so that when it's time for you to say hi, we can hear you. Got it? Got it. Okay. Okay, I'm muting us now. Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Friday, October 14th, 2022. It's just after one UTC as we're starting to record. I am Sam Minter. Yvonne Bo is not with us. He's uh, done that thing where he's taken his kid and he's flown to California and he's going to Disneyland and he ditched us. He's not doing the podcast. He is not taking us with him to Disneyland. Nothing. He's just not here. So instead, for the first time in a while, we have Ed joining us to co-host. Hello, Ed. This is where I do the mute button, mute button thing with somebody new. <laughs> mute button. Hit the mute button, Ed. It's the one with the little microphone next to the hand. <laughs> there it is. I found it. Good job. Good job. Well, 
I, I hit the mute button on the computer first, and I said, oh, I'll bet that's not the one. And then I was hitting that little green light next to me. <laughs> you know, Yvonne will feel good that it's not just him that has this problem. <laughs> like, right before we started recording, I went through all this with Ed, how to do it. I, I did not think to say what the mute button was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got it. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. How how long has it been? It feels like it's been a, a long time. I think it may have been a year. Wow! Because it was uh, it was before Yvonne uh, started hunting for his new job, mm. so that's been over a year. Yeah. So uh, anyway, real quick, we have an agenda. We have an agenda. We are going to do a but first. Ed has some sort of story about a dishwasher, and I'm sure I'll come up with something. And then we're going to talk about the January 6th committee. They had their last hearing, or at least last planned hearing at the moment, uh, and just a few hours ago as we're recording, really. Um, And then we will do election 2022 again. But since Ed is here, and Ed is from Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is one of like the key states in the country, both in terms of the Senate and the governor's race, uh, we'll, we will talk about, uh, that concentrating on Pennsylvania a little bit. And, um, I, I guess that asked me to give like a little update on my wife's campaign or whatever. And I guess I can do that too. Um, but, uh, that's the plan. So with, I guess, without further ado to use like a cliched phrase, uh, le- let's, um, let's jump in. I want to hear about this dishwasher ad. What, what happened with a dishwasher? Well, when we moved into the uh, uh, townhouse that we're in now, uh, about eight years ago, I did most of the renovation, including a completely remodeled kitchen and installed a dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Uh, About six months ago, the dishwasher stopped working and said the door wasn't locking right. So I fiddled with it. And finally, I said, oh, to hell with it and just turned it off. And we've been washing by hand. (laughs) Then a a few weeks ago, I decided to try again. And I, I... played with a couple things, ordered a new uh, door lock for it because that's what it kept saying was wrong. Okay, okay. And it worked So for so, about two weeks and then it uh, stopped again. I was going to say, you successfully repaired your own dishwasher rather than get a new one. I was excited or about that until it stopped again. I mean, eight- so then we ordered a new dishwasher, essentially the same one, but a newer model. Mm-hmm. Uh, they delivered it today and I was all excited. I installed the last one with no trouble, so I installed this one. And uh, got the electrical and the drain and the water all hooked up and turned on the water and uh, had a shower. Ooh. So I, I took it apart and re- re-hooked it up and uh, it's still leaking. And I have now given up. I'm probably going to have to have a damn plumber come to fix the <laughs> damn thing because I, I, I've run out of ideas. You know, you know, this is one of these things that, uh, uh, you know, my wife, Brandy, just really likes doing these kinds of things herself and like hates the idea of paying for other people to do it. And, you know, and and she succeeds, right? I mean, she has installed a dishwasher here. She's installed a new toilet. She's done. She, she, when she puts her mind to these things, she does them. Uh, and you know, every once in a while there's something that's not quite perfect, but you know, she does the job and, and for like super big things like uh, that are just heavy, 
uh, we've had people, you know, especially when we bought something new, they, they bring it in, they deliver, they, they install all in one shot. But like, I, meanwhile, I'm like, I would not even contemplate the idea of trying to do that myself. <laughs> I'm like, please, like, just tell me how much to, to install it, put it together, do whatever has to be done. Because I know that if I attempted to do this, not only would I not succeed, but I would probably break the stupid thing in the process of trying. Like, I, you know, it's just, I mean, even at this point, like once upon a time, I would do like the Ikea furniture and all that. At this point, I have no confidence that I would even do that successfully. Um, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, I, so I, I applaud you for even trying. Um, but yeah, just, just, just pay somebody to do it. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's always interesting and it's fun. I, as I said, I did most of the remodeling in this house. We, uh, uh, I had a gas guy come out for one of the gas connections to make sure I had done it right. Uh, because I didn't want to play with that. Uh, but, uh, I've done most of it and just keep puttering away. And, and this is the first one I've reached where I seem to have failed. Mm. Uh, I may give one more try tomorrow morning, but, uh, it's not looking good. <laughs> well, you, you know, like w- with me, I've I've determined at this point that it, it's probably best, like, yeah, if, if it, just even much smaller things, like if they need assembly, like giving it to me unassembled is just a recipe for it sitting around. And I've got a, a few examples of that that I can talk about today. Um, yeah, I, I well, and they're and they're numerous, but like I'm looking around, like. I've got, I've got a few things still in this state, like gifts from my wife of various sorts from like, even things that are just like, Hey, this is like a decoration. Hang it on the wall. Okay. It is sitting in a box somewhere because the prospect of figuring out where to put it on the wall, finding a nail, making a thing mount, you know, hitting it with the hammer and then putting it up too much for me, you know? And and look, all we're talking about is one hammer, one nail, and hang the thing up. You know, (laughs) and and, way beyond that, I uh, we we had an invasion of uh, wasps in our uh, uh, the the attic crawl space uh, a couple weeks ago. Who had actually they had chewed through the ceiling uh, to make a a sizable nest. So I cut a hole in that thing and uh, gave them a, a special treat. Uh, then when they were all dead, I cut out the hole and put in a replacement piece and uh, spackled it. And all it needs now is a little coat of paint and we're back to normal. Yeah. Like, well, uh, it, yeah. I mean, th- there are tons of these things. Um, there's, there's various places where either Alex or, or, or the dogs have damaged our walls or various things. They're all sitting there unrepaired at the moment. Um, but, uh, but just assembly kinds of things. Um, one example that actually finally got assembled um, is that several years ago, my wife for Christmas brought bought me a 3D printer. And that thing just sat in its box for years. At first, I was like, okay, I need a, like, a little table to put it on. So I bought a table, like a, a, a little, a little like small table, like a, a like an end table kind of thing. Um and the that, table was sat in a park. 
years. Yes. And the table itself sat in the box for years. I finally assembled the table. I put it up uh, somewhere. And then it sat with the box for the 3D printer on top of it for years more. Oh, dear. And then, you know, and then um, a few weeks ago, Alex here um, decided that he ne- there was something he wanted to 3D print for a project he wanted Which to do. Which uh, was the, the project is he's trying to t- convert a controller for a Nintendo Switch. Joy-Con. Joy-Con for a Nintendo Switch so that it has big buttons that he can train the dogs to use. Okay, this this is the goal. Anyway, he decided he needed to 3D print buttons. And since this 3D printer had been sitting around for years, it was time to assemble it. So, of course, Alex took it out, assembled it, put it together in like an hour and got it all set up. Like after I'd left it sitting there for years and years, intimidated by the idea of opening it because I knew it said it needed to be assembled. Now, it, it was only a handful of pieces that needed to be screwed together. Like it basically just was the pieces were apart so it could fit in a smaller box basically and be shipped efficiently. Um, so, you know, and the, o- the only place I helped where was at one point where I had to like hold a piece while Alex screwed it together. <laughs> um, but otherwise he did it all himself. Like I said, it was about an hour, maybe, maybe less. Um, and so now I, I don't know if anybody can hear in the background because uh, you know, when I, process the podcast it does a bunch of noise removal but the 3d printer is happily printing in the background as we are recording um and if you can hear it it makes some really interesting noises but whatever um well there you go um but anyway so so he's been (laughs) so he's been happily 3d printing things for a couple weeks and now it's printing a, a a thing for me that I've actually wanted to 3D print for like 20 years. I don't even know if 3D printing properly existed back when I originally wanted to print. Like I wanted a physical model of this thing and I only had it sort of a uh, a 2D mathematical. It's a graph of a 3D mathematical function that I thought was cool like 20 years ago. And I've had, I had like a picture of it that I generated through some online tool. Um, But, uh, but now, now it is, but but now i'm happily it's it's printing as we speak it's going to be this big like five inch by five inch by several inch tall graph thing and anyway but the point was i procrastinated putting this thing together for years and alex put it together in an hour and it's just like i I recognize at this point that putting things together is just not my thing um, there's another gift that Alex gave me, uh, uh, along with help from my wife. Uh, was it this Christmas? Uh, last Christmas? Or... This Christmas. This Christmas hasn't happened yet. No, uh, yeah. It, it, I, I'm pretty sure it was Christmas 2021, but he gave me like a video game console thing, like that plays like arcade machine, like that it's like looks like the old fashioned 1980s. Uh, arcade cabinets that you would you would see when you went to like a, the actual okay, arcade and put quarters in, uh, but it's like got an emulator in it and it plays a bunch of different old games, um, and that also is still sitting in the box in the hallway because I opened it once and I pulled out the instruction sheet for assembly and it 
had small writing and complicated diagrams. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. Someone's got to help me with this. And no one's helped me yet. So I, I, I told Alex at some doing a video on it. Yeah. You said we should wait for mom and refusing to help you even attempt to do this without. Mom. Yes, exactly. I, if you can hear, if you can hear Alex, um, which I don't know because he's far, because he's far away. But he isn't supposed to watch each of. Um. Any, anyway, yeah. I, I I I just look at the thing and I'm intimidated. And yes, I said like, mom has to help with this. I I can't do this. I'm not going to do it with just you and me, Alex, because I know I'll screw it up. At this point, I have more faith in Alex. I'm ready. I'm ready to just hand it off to Alex and say, okay, go. You go put it together for me. That would be awesome. You good? Uh, I bet he could do it. I bet he could too. You know, it's just. Uh, but I look at it and I'm like big complicated page full of instructions like put widget a into slot six i i'm done you know, <laughs> you know I, I i i could try but I, my confidence that i wouldn't mess it up is low and even if i did succeed i feel like it would be a stressful unhappy experience for me and i would much rather let someone else do that and then just play with the thing once it's built there you go yeah, so depress the O side of the thing. The O side? Yeah, something like that. Uh okay. So in in the end, your dishwasher story is sadness that you have not completed your dishwasher installation yet. Well, I'll I'll update you when I get it running on the other because I'm tired of washing dishes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can imagine. Um, but yeah, you know, your, your old one, you said, what, lasted eight years. That's not too uh, horrible for a dishwasher. Well, that's why I didn't have a repairman come out because it's, you know, it's 150, 200 bucks for a repair guy. And then the new one's 800 and <clears throat> it, at eight years, they all say, well, it's going to die any minute anyway. Yeah. So I, it just wasn't worth it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Life. Yeah. Eight, eight years. I mean. I, on the one hand, I'm like, I, I, eight years seems like they should be able to make them last longer, but, yeah, but I'm it, sure they can. I, I'm sure they can. And I'm sure there are washers out there that are still successfully running that are much, much older than that. But the other thing I think is like, okay, maybe eight years, I don't want a new one yet. But once you get to like 15, I'm starting to wonder like, don't they have something better that I could upgrade to at this point that would just do the job a lot better than the old one? And maybe not. I don't, I don't, I haven't followed the technological ramp of like large appliances like that in terms of, you know, it, it is a, you know, is a dishwasher from today actually all that much different than one from 15, 20 years ago? This one looks exactly like our old one. I mean, the <laughs> fittings are all the same, controls, uh, instructions. So uh, there, there hasn't been much change. Uh, heating systems, home heating and cooling systems are dramatically different. Mm. Than the <clears throat> yeah, and I figure one of the differences on appliances like that is probably energy efficiency and yeah. stuff like that. Well, they, like, you know, when we moved in here, gas was the best way to heat and cool. Uh, at this point, the... Uh, 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 Heat pumps have passed that so much that it's they're, they're far more efficient and quieter and uh, better. And uh, heat pumps are what they're trying to get everybody to change to because they use so much less 
power and they don't burn gas. Obviously, they use just electricity, but they're not the same as they were 10, 12 years ago at all. You know, speaking of appliances that lost, lost, that last a long time, um, my grandmother had a canister vacuum cleaner that, you know, she, I, I guess, bought like when she was young. I don't know how young. I get the feeling this was like, I don't know, 1920s or 1930s vacuum cleaner or something like that, that, that she used, you know, up until the end of her life, essentially. And I that was an Electrolux. I believe it was. I believe you are correct. Um, it sat horizontally with two little bars, one bar on each side to hold it, to slide around. I, I, it, it was a little canister on the bottom with wheels on the bottom and oh, like a hose that comes out of it. Um, in any case, and, and then after she passed away, uh, my mom had it for a while and, you know, eventually was like, I, I don't really know what to do with this, but it was still working, still functional. She, my mother actually contacted Electrolux. I'm pretty sure you're right. It was an Electrolux and said, hey, I've got this like nearly a hundred year old vacuum that still works, <laughs> you know, um, and what should I do with it? And they're like, we would love to have that back. <laughs> and it's apparently sitting in now in a display case at their like company headquarters or something. Uh, and they sent my, they sent my mom a bunch of like free stuff in exchange for the vacuum cleaner. Uh, you know, cause, cause this thing, it, you know, it was a running working vacuum cleaner for like 70, 80 years or something. I, I don't think it actually made it to a hundred, but you know, it probably still works now since they stuck it in a case somewhere, you know, but there you go. It, it just kept running. I mean, and of course, one of the things is like the one, one of the things that has changed as technology has quote unquote improved and gotten more efficient and gotten fancier features and whatever is the complexity has risen uh, by quite a bit. Uh, and so that also means there's a lot more that can go wrong. Yep. I mean, a lot of these, you know, like I'm talking about a vacuum cleaner from like the 30s or something, um, had a very simple design, you know, and so it's just going to run and run and run and run. And, you know, it, it, it may have gotten repaired along the way. I don't know. But, you know, because you could repair it because it was simple. So it's like, oh, well, you just have to replace this bit or whatever. Uh, where, whereas a lot of modern devices, the, they may be better while they run, but you know, once they break, it's like you were saying, it's the, the cost to repair, uh, often doesn't make sense versus the cost to replace. And sometimes it's just not possible. Like the last time we replaced it, our oven, I'm pretty sure it was our oven stovetop. Um, uh, oven slash stovetop, you know, they're always combined. Um, the, the, something broke in it and they just plain didn't make the replacement part anymore. It, it was, it wasn't that old. It was like five years, six years old or something, but I guess it wasn't a super popular model and they discontinued it and you couldn't get the parts anymore. So like, even if we had wanted to fix it, we couldn't, it was like, okay, we have to get a new one. <laughs> anyway well, yeah. well we'll get our dishwasher working sooner or later <laughs>
Okay. Well, we we both talked about like appliances and such. So I, I don't I don't know that I need another. But first, uh, uh, I guess because one of the things I was going to talk about was the three D printer thing, and there you go, it came up anyway. So there it is. I don't, okay. I don't know. So, <laughs> um, okay. So we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the January 6th stuff. I keep every once in a while wanting to say January 9th. It just keeps coming into my head. But it was January 6th, right? Correct me. Yes. J6. Yes. Um, we're, going to, we're going to talk about the latest hearings there and the latest developments. And I, I guess a handful of other Donald Trump stuff, maybe. Uh, but uh, we will be back right after this. AfricaFocus.org features high-quality analysis and progressive advocacy on African issues with a particular attention to priority issues affecting the entire continent. The heart of the website is the Africa Focus Bulletin. Other features include regularly updated Africa-related news feeds and a set of country pages with extensive background and links on each African country. If you follow African issues or are even curious, visit AfricaFocus.org today. Okay, we are back. Um, so just a, a quick summary, I guess, uh, of the J6 stuff. Uh, they had their last hearing. I think the main new things to come out of this, and uh, a lot of it was sort of recap of everything, but the the new things that stood out to me, one, are they presented lots and lots of evidence that Donald Trump absolutely positively knew he lost prior to January 6th, like a long time prior. They talked about, uh, there were witnesses who said he talked to them about having lost. Uh, there were comments about actions he was taking that only really made sense in the context of someone who knew he was leaving, like ordering the military to do certain things before January 20th. Um, Etc. They, they they piled on with that in terms of no no this is not a case where Donald Trump actually believed that he won and the election was being stolen from him. He was saying things like, "Can you believe I lost to this guy?" You know stuff like that um, that indicates he clearly knew he lost. It was not you know some because they've been building this potential defense, I guess, that Donald Trump honestly and truly to this day believes that he actually won. And the only reason that people thought Biden won was cheating or whatever or whatever. You know, this was just plenty of evidence that Donald Trump actually knew he lost, period, and was trying all of this stuff anyway. Um, the second is they developed all kinds of information about how all, you know, the intelligence community, the secret service, everybody had tons of information coming into them that this was going to happen or had a high likelihood of happening anyway, that people were out there and planning and trying, you know, anticipating violence. There were all kinds of warnings that should 
have flagged the relevant agencies to drastically up security before we got to January 6th. Um, at least in, in, in the, the 10, 10 days to two weeks time frame, there was plenty. There was plenty that should have had them on high alert, and they never did that. Um, and that includes uh, the president being made aware of some of these threats and not caring. Um, and they, they also had some you know additional uh, stuff from the Secret Service. They had a few other things. And then finally... But those those are the ones that really stood out for me. And apologies if I missed something. You know, honestly, I was in and out of the thing, like listening to parts of it and then having to do work and then listening to parts of it and then doing and then doing work. And then, you know, when people were putting together summaries later, I was also distracted. But these are the elements that seem to have stood out. And the most people are talking about were those plus at the very end the committee voted to subpoena Donald Trump. Um, uh, and nobody believes Donald Trump will actually honor that subpoena or show up to testify or anything like that. Uh, but they did it, I guess, to get it on the record. And we can talk a little bit more about that. So, Ed, that that's my summary. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole thing, either just today's developments or more generally everything related to that? Well, it, it, pretty much that, that down the line, uh, it, the ordering of the immediate evacuation of troops from Afghanistan and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Somalia uh, sounded precipitate and dangerous, and apparently somebody managed to avoid that happening. Which yeah, I mean, spe specifically, good. just to, to give a little color on that, th when I said ordering a number of things to happen before the inauguration, these were the two biggest ones. Um, yeah. I forget the exact dates. Afghanistan was like January 15th. Somalia was a little bit earlier. But basically, he issued an order to the military saying, just get out. Get out by these dates. I don't care how it happens. Uh, I mean, the text didn't say, I don't care. But it just was like, get out by these dates, period. Um, and they there were interviews with general Milley uh, basically saying, you know, this, this was not even possible. Like even if they wanted to support this wholeheartedly um, they may not have physically been able to do it as quickly as was being talked about, which was only a few weeks uh, from the order to the deadline dates. Um, but of course, you know, they, there is a huge group of people uh, who also thought, well, even if it was possible, this is horribly um, dangerous and reckless, et cetera. And as you know, and of course, Biden ended up actually pulling out like what, six months later, eight months later, whatever it was, um, yep. and got all kinds of criticism for actually doing it and pulling out and the and it was somewhat of a debacle in terms of the the craziness of that action. Uh, what Trump wanted to do was even faster with even less preparation. So you you've got to imagine how badly that would have gone. Uh, but apparently, and I I don't know if you caught exactly how it didn't happen, but I I got the uh, the the notion that basically it was being slow walked, um, you know, to uh, by the military in terms of well, you know what 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 trump had ordered wasn't quite in the right form or whatever so they needed to do blah 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 i don't know what did, did you do did you catch exactly why they didn't just jump and I, do I it i was listening for it and i never heard 
they, they didn't go into it, I don't think, what, how it was prevented. My, my guess is that uh, some of the senior people uh, just refused to do it. Yeah. I, I, well, think- do it. I, I can't imagine General Milley uh, giving that. Well, the, the chief, of, chief of staff actually doesn't have command authority. Right. Right, but I can't imagine any of the commanders uh, uh, willing to sacrifice their troops and everything else. Yeah, it, it would be very interesting because this is yet another example where it seems like Donald Trump was doing things in the last couple months of his presidency, and the actual people that would have to execute were just ignoring him. Um, which, on the one hand, it was Donald Trump ordering really reckless things, so I'm kind of glad they ignored him. But uh, but on the flip side, you really don't want a scenario where the military is ign- ignoring civilian orders either. You know, oh, not only the military, the I mean, everybody, the, the whole everybody cabinet yes. was pretty much ignoring him. I think it's at, at a lot of times. yeah. Certainly after January sixth, I think he was no longer had any real power uh, for the most part. Uh, but th- some of this was before January 6th. And I, I I got the impression it was sort of a combination of, thank you for the order, sir, but this is impossible. Um, you know, we will work on studying what's the best we can do and get back to you, um, which I guess is just a form of what I was going to say next, which is this just the slow walking. Like, you know, yeah. hey, we will wait for this order to be, you know, copied in triplicate and distributed to all of the people and then reviewed by a committee and then blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff, um, some combination of these things. But, uh, I, I gather the, you know, opinion was that it wasn't really practical to do it that quickly anyway, but then the fact that they all didn't want to do it at all because they thought it was stupid, uh, probably slowed them down even further. Um, you know, like when Biden wanted to do it, he had to push constantly. You know, we, we weren't quite in a, you know, Truman firing MacArthur situation, but, you know, they, they really didn't want to leave Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, they, it, they kind of, so Biden had to kind of make it clear that no ifs, ands, and buts, this was happening. And now, yeah. Um, so, so yes, what what else, Ed? What? Uh, well, the other thing, of course, at the end, they uh, announced that they're going to subpoena mm-hmm. uh, Trump. Now, obviously, he will not honor the subpoena, uh, so it's going to create another interesting uh, conflict. But uh, uh, that this is the first time I think that a president has been subpoenaed, isn't it, or not? A former president. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, um, a, an ex president has testified to Congress before. Uh, president they Ford. Or did they just come? No, that they just came. Like uh, President Ford agreed to come under conditions that it was setting no precedent. Blah blah blah. Pre- so President Ford came and gave lengthy testimony on his decision to pardon President Nixon. Yeah. Um. That that's the main example of this. Um, and it wasn't a, wasn't a formal subpoena. It was arranged between the parties politely and without precedent, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it's clear the, you know, there's no reason the subpoena shouldn't, uh, pass muster. There has been precedent about, um, not subpoenaing for testimony, but 
subpoenaing for documents. Uh, that was once again, Nixon surprise. Um, and Nixon lost, uh, you know, and, and you know, there was access given to his presidential papers and other things. Um, you know, after he, after he would re- after he had resigned and was an ex-president. Yep. Um, and in fact, that was part of the reason for the introduction of the presidential record, the presidential records act that right. uh, right. obviously is in the news again with Donald Trump uh, was the fact that this was even an issue with Nixon. Um, but um, yeah, it's clear Donald Trump will, will not respond positively to this will not show up. I guess it would be kind of interesting if he did, but, I think the chance is basically zero. Um, the question then becomes, does the committee bother to send a referral to the Justice Department for contempt of Congress uh, like they have for some of these other people? They have done it for five other witnesses, uh, two of which the de- the Department of Justice has actually decided to take up and do something with. Um, I believe those numbers are correct. Uh, I, sort of, I sort of was getting the feeling that that they're seriously considering sending a bunch of this material. I mean, they really are accusing him of crimes. Yeah. And, so one, and at some of, point, they need to do something about that. Well, one of the next things, uh, apparently there is a, f- they haven't officially made the decision yet, but a whole lot of members have indicated that chances are incredibly high that they will send criminal referrals over to the justice department for a whole bunch of different people. Um, they would probably, you know, they don't they don't have that much time left. They're operating under the assumption that the Democrats will lose in November and the Republicans will come in in January and that one of the first things the Republicans will do is disband this committee. Um, and certainly, e- even if they didn't disband it, they would put Republicans on it and not like the Cheney kind of Cheney and... Um, Kinzinger kind of Republicans. Marjorie Green. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those kind of folks would be on it instead. But most likely they'll just disband. Most likely they'll just disband it. Um, so their their timeline is very short. The things they have left to do, uh, they have to decide whether they're sending criminal referrals, and if so, on who. Uh, they have to write a final report, um, and. You know, if they have any last little bits of investigating to do, they got to do that too. Um, they apparently still have some Secret Service documents to go through and a few other things that they want to do before they run out of time. Um, but you know, if if they do the the criminal referrals, um, the DOJ still has to figure out what to do with them, right? I mean, DOJ has their own independent investigation going on. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which apparently was like the fact that over the summer, this committee put as much into the public as they did sort of kicked the Department of Justice into a higher gear of action um, because they had been doing this working their way from the bottom up kind of thing. But there was not a lot of evidence that they were really actively doing things about the ringleaders and the overall conspiracy and stuff like that uh, before the the committee started just putting everything in public. They might have been doing some, but it was moving very slowly, and uh, the committee sort of 
put them in a position where there was no way DOJ couldn't do that. And DOJ ever since has been asking for all kinds of information from the committee and the committee has provided some, but for the most part, they've said, we will give you all this stuff when we're done. And now they're almost done. So presumably along the same time scale as their final report and all this, they will hand over all kinds of stuff to the DOJ. And specifically, if they do criminal referrals, presumably that will be accompanied by boatloads of evidence that they've accumulated. Yeah. Um, and But they have to decide specifically on the Donald Trump thing, are they going to send a contempt of Congress for him not being cooperative to their request? Uh, and on the one hand, I feel like they kind of should for completeness, um, but of all the things DOJ has on the plate with Donald Trump, Frankly, him not answering a congressional subpoena is like number 32 on the list or something. You know, they they've got they've they've got the whole potential conspiracy around January 6th going on. They've got, of course, the the documents issue coming out of uh, Mar-a-Lago. Um, they had the New York attorney general refer tax issues to them uh, not long ago, mm-hmm. you know. I, I I referred to this last week, but crew 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 uh, that's the Twitter account. Um, it's uh, a, you know, a center for ethics or whatever uh, compiled a list of crimes Trump has been credibly accused of, and they're more than fifty five. You know, and so DOJ is going to have to pick and choose. A number of people have said that DOJ probably has one crack at this, like. You know, theoretically, they could charge him for something, see how it goes. And if they fail, charge him with something else and see how it goes. And if it fails, charge him with something else. But realistically, in terms of what anybody would have any patience for, they're going to want to come out of the gate with whatever is the best thing they got. And, you know, and if they don't get it, they're they're not gonna come after him a second or third or fourth time. No, you know, I think it, you, you pick the charges that you get the best case on and charge it. And if if he's found uh, not guilty, then go on. Let's get get on and do something else with our world. Yeah, I I, I agree completely. Uh, and honestly, like I I think I've said this many times before. Like I have a hard time seeing the notion of a jury actually coming out with a, you know, a unanimous acquittal, but I also have a hard time thinking that they'd get a unanimous conviction. I think the most likely result of a Trump trial is a hung jury. Honestly, you know, cause you're going to get at least one person who's like, Nope, I'm not going along with this. You know, yeah. and that's all you need. Is is one juror? He will, he will claim that means that he's innocent. Yeah, of course he will. There's uh, there's a huge difference between not guilty and innocent. Yes. Well, and, but a hung jury isn't even a not guilty. Yeah, that's right. It's just a we couldn't decide. Do you want to try again? <laughs> you know, um, and, which would be like, I, I think that itself would be a disastrous result. You know, so I you know I don't know how many times and how many shows I have to say, but like. DOJ, if if they're going to do this, and I think at this point they almost have to, there is so much 
evidence of so many different kinds of wrongdoing. They got to do something. Um, but they have to, they have to do it perfectly. They have to do everything by the book. They have to make sure that case is super, super, super solid. Um, you know, because, you know, the, the, the old phrase, I know I've said this on the show before too. I'm so repetitive. I'm sorry. Uh, if you go for the king, you best not miss. Yep. And he is not the president anymore. He's an ex-president. But like, if you're going to do this, you got to do it and you got to do it right. And you got to win. Like doing this and losing uh, is a bad result for everyone. Yeah. And it's, it's not a reason not to do it. but Except uh, Donald Trump. The fact is there are millions of uh, uh, so-called Americans out there who are going to riot and and cause some really major upset if he's if he's indicted, let alone if he's found guilty. And but that's not that's not a reason to to let him get away with the crimes. Yeah, you can't not do it because of that. You know, you have to you have to go after him. And if there are consequences like that, then you have to deal with them at that point. You know, if if the result of indicting somebody for insurrection is another insurrection, well, you put down the second insurrection too. Yep. You know, and, uh, but it seems like as you listen to people talk about this case, everyone seems to think at this point, it's no longer a question of if DOJ will indict. It's like they have to, it's the question of what the timing is and what they actually indict on and what's the detailed evidence. Now, the conventional wisdom on that might be wrong. DOJ might punt. Uh, I think that would be disastrous too. There's a, there's a minefield here, right? But there's no good answer. Yeah. But my best guess is that we get indictments early next year. Um, you could conceivably get them between the election and the end of the year, but my best guess would be early next year. Uh, you're going to get some indictments out of this stuff. Uh, you know, and probably it looks like the document case is furthest along and it seems like almost a slam dunk on the facts. Uh, like, yes, he did this. I mean, hell he's, you know, giving speeches, admitting to doing it, you know, um, it, you know, he thinks he's did nothing wrong, but if you actually look at the facts, he's, he doesn't dispute that he has these documents or anything. Um, you know, and there is a question like, do here's, here's another part that has to go into the DOJ calculations. Let's say they do do it on the, the document stuff and not gen anything January 6 related. Well, he is technically breaking the law. Even if all he took was like, you know, his souvenirs of like the, the, the hurricane map with the Sharpie on it and stuff. That's, that, <laughs> that's, that's technically already breaking the law. Now we yeah. know he's done another a bunch of classified docs uh, as, as well and all, all kinds of other stuff, but there's going to be a thing out there in terms of, well, was this, yeah, it broke the law, but is it really important? Does it really matter? If all he's doing is keeping a bunch of souvenirs, who cares? And so the case would have to be made, not, not necessarily in the court of law, but also to the public, that what he stole mattered. That 
Um, yes, it really did potentially hurt national security in some way. Like, what was the consequence here? Like, did we find out that somebody actually like was able to infiltrate the storage room and steal this information and give it to foreign governments? Or do we know, was Donald Trump himself trying to sell them or was, um, he using them as leverage or blackmail or something? What, what was he doing with them? Cause one of the difficulties here is if the case really only is he was storing, he had documents he shouldn't have had and he stored them improperly. A huge portion of the American public is going to basically chalk that up as the same class of crimes as someone taking pens from their office you know? Uh, and so I think they, even though it's, you know, if you look at the, all the laws and stuff say it doesn't have to be like, all he has to do is take the, the, you know, take documents. He's not supposed to, that's already a crime. Take the classified documents. That's already a very serious felony. Even if nothing bad happens to the documents and he just kept them in a drawer and no one else saw them, it's still a major felony. But I think that, in order to really have you know high levels of public support and you'll never get the true maga folks but in order to get past the core democrats and you know people who hate trump anyway you have to be able to say like here's the actual damage that happened or here's what donald trump was trying to do with the documents that's bad like if all you're saying is he was a hoarder and he took stuff he shouldn't have a lot of folks are going to say so what <laughs> no I mean, we do have we do have laws and they probably ought to be obeyed most of the time you'd think you'd think so I, you know, I guess moving on a little bit from January 6th stuff. And do, wait, do you have more on January 6th? I, uh, we, no, we I think started. that about covers it. I okay. think the, the so, committee's about done and we'll see what happens next. So so moving on to the document stuff, though, I know you have a military background, Ed, um, and so maybe have some insight into the whole notion of what you should or should not be doing with classified documents. What's your reaction to like that whole story and what we're hearing about what Donald Trump was doing with classified documents. Well, you know, I I didn't see very many classified documents because where I was, it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. And you're not supposed to see them unless there's a need to. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, the other thing on the occasion that they that I did, someone brought it to my office, remained there while I read it and studied it and did whatever I wanted to do and then took it and returned it to a safe storage. I, I did not keep them in my office. Uh, and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Wait, wait, wait. The lowest classification. Ed, Ed, you, you did not take them home and stick them in your desk drawer at home? No, I didn't. But that's I do awesome. know of military officers who have been court-martialed because they did. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a, you don't just take... I know of guys who have been relieved of command because they left a classified document on their desk when there was no one in the office. Right. And that's a crime in the military and you get relieved of command. Yeah. And it's, and it's a crime, not in the military too. <laughs> you know? Well, probably. Yeah. You know, and, and um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the thing with this particular case is it certainly appears 
like they've got such strong evidence. Like I said, of the actual, like even Donald Trump so far in all of these documents is not, not documents in, in all of the things that we've heard him yell and say, and especially what his lawyers are saying so far, they haven't actually disputed, you know, Hey, I had doc documents that I wasn't legally authorized to have, you know, well, his, or, his defense has been to say that uh, previous guys did it too. Wasn't it? Didn't he say HW? Uh, he said, sent millions of documents to a uh, bowling alley. Which, which turns out that this what it was was a building that had been converted into a secure facility and was guarded by the uh, document uh, agencies that that takes care of the documents. Yeah. So yes, they were sent to a maybe a former bowling alley, but it was no longer a bowling alley and it was secure and the documents were just not just laying out there in a musty, moldy basement. No, the the archives were doing what they were supposed to, and the the archives have put out several statements rebutting things that he's said. Um, but yeah, it, it, it like I said though, it, it, the, his his team, and I guess it's it's not in the right part. Like the, there's the difference between the legal processes and what Donald Trump spouts on spouts on about. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, says whatever the hell he wants to say about whatever he wants to say and is only loosely, if at all, attached to the truth, right? It's not under oath. He's just going on about whatever. He's bullshitting. Whatever. He says whatever he wants to say in order to rile up his people and all this kind of stuff. Uh, His legal team is much more careful and has been, for instance, uh, one of the things that Donald Trump has said repeatedly is, you know, I declassified everything. Well, his legal team has never once actually claimed that. At most, they have claimed he could have declassified things. It was within his power. They haven't claimed that he actually did that. And of yep. course, numerous... Because there has to be a paperwork trail when you declassify. Yeah, well, his... He has claimed, and some of his hangers-on uh, have have claimed that the legal paper trail is not actually necessary. Yeah, and the that's, president and the president can declassify. That's in the imagination of Donnie Trump. <laughs> but um, the thing is, like the the legal team has been careful about not actually saying those things because they know that can be falsified and that it's probably not true. Um, Donald Trump has no such compulsion, compulsions, compulsions, whatever, uh, Donald Trump is not worrying about that. Um, but one of the things he has done is just repeatedly say things that verify that he in fact had the documents that he shouldn't have. And it's like, does he not realize that this can be used against him in court in the future? I mean, he's on TV admitting to crimes, whether he thinks they're crimes or not, whether he thinks he'll ever be charged with them or not. He is sitting there on TV admitting to crimes. Now, of course, he's done that before, and he's been absolutely right that nothing has happened to him because of it. So he's going to continue to believe that until such time as it's not true, if it's ever not true. I don't know. But... um, and the other thing he did that by, by the way, just another development that happened this week on a yet another thing uh, is remember the journalist that accused him of rape 
Yes. Um, he lost on that one too. He, he had been trying to say that he did not have to come in and testify that. Now, specifically, just to be clear, this is not a criminal trial for rape. The statute of limitations passed too long ago. Um, what it is, is when, uh, what was her name? E. Jean Carroll? I believe it was. I think Carroll. Yeah. Yeah. It was Carroll. Um, when she accused him originally while he was president, he denied it from the briefing room at the white house and talked about how she was lying and it was not true and it was whatever. Um, so she sued him for defamation for calling her a liar. Uh, but his initial defense to that was she can't sue me right now. I'm, I'm president. I was speaking as president. And I was speaking, I I was speaking as president. So you cannot sue the government for this kind of thing. And effectively he was acting as the government, as the president in his official capacity, et cetera. So you can't sue me for that. And it's unclear whether that defense would have actually worked because, and it, it may still be adjudicated because the trial was delayed until he wasn't president anymore. And then uh, it's finally proceeding and um, he was still going to use that defense. Right. But then he just lost this case about having to come in and testify. And in response, he went on and repeated all of the allegations against this woman. He once again called her a liar and said that, you know, she was making this all up to defame him and blah, 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 blah. But he's not president anymore. He just (laughs) repeated those statements. His primary defense was, you can't sue me because I said that in my official capacity. Well, he's now said it not in his official capacity. So did he just blow up his own defense or, or would they have to like do a whole new set of accusations against the new time he said it? Maybe, I don't know. But the point is like the man keeps incriminating himself. He usually gets away with it, Sam. I know he's always got away with it at, you know, at worst he's had to settle and pay some fines that he could actually afford, you know? So you know, nothing in it, nothing in his entire life has told him that this doesn't work because it always has. It always has. He's gotten away with fucking everything. And we elected him president. And we elected. Yeah, he got away with a bunch of stuff before he was a president. And then he wins the presidency and he gets away with a whole bunch more stuff while he was president. And he's still doing questionable things after he was president. And so far, not a single negative consequence has ended up falling in his lap. At least nothing he couldn't handle. Nothing that like really disturbed the path of his life, right? I mean, he was still a rich man. He got to be president, you know, like his whole freaking life. And so, of course, he's going to keep doing it. It's worked for 70 plus years. (laughs) And whether or not like all of this can actually catch up to him at any time, you know, like I said, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I always preface things by saying I've said this a thousand times on the show. Well, I've said this a thousand times on the show, too. Um, the uh, Assume they do indict him in January. 
you know, the legal process is going to drag out for years. You know, I, he, he, you know, it, he's it, old enough. He may kick off before it. Ends. He it, absolutely. He's old enough. He may kick off before it ends. Like, because, you know, assume it takes a couple years and they eventually convict him and then he appeals and then that takes a few years and then blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, he runs for president again and maybe he wins and then pardons himself. You know, who the hell knows? Well, if if he gets convicted, he can't run for president again. That is actually unclear. There's a, there are a lot of people who've looked. One of the laws in question says specifically, or if you are convicted of this, then you cannot hold any federal office. Um, there are a number of people I've seen argue, and not just like Trumpy folks, but like regular normal lawyers, that says the constitutionality of that prohibition is highly unclear. Um, so he could probably get around that too. You know, because, you know, he's got a few Supreme Court justices on his side. Uh, if he argue, you know, if he argues that basically the argument is that um, a a simple federal law cannot change the the qualifications to be president that are written in the Constitution. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, that that if you wanted to make additional conditions that the president could not have been convicted of certain crimes, then that needs to be in the constitution. You need a constitutional amendment to do that. You can't do it with a simple law. Uh, That's the basic argument there. Um, Well, then he may well run again. You know, probably, you know, we'll see like, uh, but uh, some of his supporters have been like, you know, there's nothing stopping him from running if he's on trial. There's nothing stopping him from running if he's been convicted but is still appealing. And hell, there's nothing stopping him from running even if he's sitting in a jail cell. Yep. So, <sighs> okay. Enough of that. Yes. Uh, let, let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we will talk uh, some Election 22 politics. But again, we're going to concentrate on Pennsylvania. We talked a lot last week about the polls and where everything was going and up and down and have the Democrats peaked and all this kind of stuff. So we're not going to repeat all that. That was last week. We're going to talk a little bit about Pennsylvania and get Ed's special insight from living there. I guess a lot of people live there, but you're the one who's talking to us. (laughs) Okay. We will be back after this. You're supposed to say do, do, do. Do, 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 Alex Amzala. Alex Amzala is awesome. Its videos are fun. And today, once again, we have one of our most loyal subscribers here to tell you how awesome Alex Amzala is. I'd say on a rate from 1 to 10, Alex Amzala is awesome at... I don't know, 37, 82. He's pretty radical. His videos are phenomenal. They're full of creativity. And they're they're so funny and exciting to watch. Wow, what happened to your voice then, Amy? Was that dad pretending to be you because the audio was distorted when it really wasn't because I told him to? Yes! Good job on remembering, dad. Do, do, do. Okay, we are back. So Pennsylvania, Ed, um, 
lovely place. I used to live there for a while myself. Um, uh, we, you, you, the, you have a Senate race and a governor race that are have sort of national attention. Uh, if they're local races uh, that are really interesting, uh, uh, you can bring them up too. But let's start with the two big ones. Um, and let, let's start with governor because that's not quite as close. Uh, you got yeah. the Democrat Shapiro versus the Republican Mastriano. Mm-hmm. Just as background right now in the polling average uh, on, on 538, uh, Shapiro's ahead by... 10.3%. So it looks yeah. like the Democrats got a pretty comfortable lead there. Uh, but anything you want to say about uh, the, the governor's race there? Well, everything I've heard about Shapiro is is good. He, as, he's been the uh, attorney general and went after the, uh, uh, the priest rapists uh, big time and really won case after case after case, kind of made his career on that. Uh, and, but he's done a lot of other things too. He, he looks like he's about 15 or 16, uh, but I think he's <laughs> older, <laughs> but, uh, every, everyone I know says he, he's their guy, including people that are even some of the Trumpies, even he's just really, so it, you, you, you've got, yeah. And, and this is an interesting thing about Ed. He, he, he participates in a number of political communities that include, uh, Trumpies. <laughs> like I, I, I can't. I just, whatever at this point, but, um, so you're, you're saying some actual like live Trump supporters that are still Trumpies are saying, no, 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 I can't do Mastriano. I've, I'm going to do go with the well, Democrat. Most, uh, well, of the few that I know that are like that, uh, they're, they're more or less neutral, but they uh, are, okay. That's uh, they're, they're, they don't like Mastriano, so I, I think they're not they're not PA uh, Pennsylvania folks. They're from other places, so uh, who knows what they would do? But ah, uh, okay. Well, so, you the know, people that... I actually communicate with here in Pennsylvania, yeah. I don't I don't know a single Mastriano vote. Okay, well, of course that's self selection, right? Like, yep, you know, there is that. The communities you travel in just aren't the right communities to get a lot of well, against, that support, I guess. Against. Uh, uh, his record of of the achievements he's done in the past several years, uh, Mastriano uh, was in the military. Um, I don't know how sterling a career he had. He was at the War College for a while, but uh, he didn't make the sort of ranks that I would have expected if he had a sterling career. But that's neither here nor there. Since getting out, he's uh, been in our state house, where he is uh, very active in preventing. Uh, uh, well, protecting the gerrymandering uh, with various uh, manipulations, so that the uh, the state remains very heavily gerrymandered. One of the one of the three or four worst gerrymandered in the country. Uh, he helped organize uh, a significant bunch of people who went down on January sixth. Uh, whether or not he went into the uh, uh, Capitol is unclear. He says no that he left, but there's pictures showing him not necessarily leaving, but still there with a crowd. But clearly he organized and took a bunch of people down there, uh, continues doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, he's another one of these people that says that uh, abortion should be illegal, period. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's the day after conception, uh, it's a murder. And uh, if it was your father who knocked you down, beat you up, knocked you unconscious and raped you, that's all right. That baby was created by God and needs to be protected. And and 
And also, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that Pennsylvania is one of those states where the governor appoints the secretary of state, and he has promised that if he is governor, that he will appoint a secretary of state that will recognize like the all the problems with elections, et cetera, which basically people are interpreting as, you know, uh, if elected, he's going to pick a secretary of state that will put their thumb really hard on the lever for Republicans to win, specifically well, in, in the presidential ads, contest. In, in his ads running out, when he talks about that, he says, as a governor, I can have any machine I want to have taken out and, and not used. Mm-hmm. And and has made it pretty clear that uh, he would he would uh, have a major impact on the appointing of electors after uh, an election. Yeah, ba- base, basically, he is implying that if he wins, there is no way they will allow a Democrat to win Pennsylvania in 2024. Bingo. Hey, what whatever they have to do to to the count to make sure either those Democrats don't vote in the first place or their votes don't get counted, he would take care of that. That's about it. I, that, it would be a disaster. Uh, yeah. it, with him as governor. Yeah. So uh, it, well, it looks like he's losing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, no, no. On the governor side, you know, Pennsylvania isn't particularly close right now. Um, the, yeah, a, a whole bunch of other states, like if you look at governors, like Wisconsin is even in the polls right now. In Arizona, the Republican's up by one, which is essentially even. In Nevada, the Republican is up by one, which is essentially even. Um, the deal in Arizona is that, uh, is, as I recall, the, the Republican is is a, a Trumpy oh, uh, election denier. Yep. And the uh, Democrat is refusing to debate with her. And so the the Republicans in, in this one discussion group that I'm in are raising hell saying, see, when a, when a Republican says that they're not going to join a debate, the newspapers all go crazy. But now here's a Democrat who won't and they're quiet about it. I, I No, I've seen all kinds of, I don't know about the newspapers, but I've seen Democrats online tearing out their hair about what is she doing? Uh, the the uh, the I Democrat- think she would be crazy to get on a debate stage with that crazy woman. Well, and I it, that's what she's basically saying is that like it would be a shit show basically, and what's the point of this? But you know, sh- the Democrat was you know not a huge lead, but ahead by several percentage points in the polls uh, as recently as you know September, and. As this whole thing about the debates has been going on, her lead has slipped and slipped, and now she's behind. Um, And a a good part of it is because the optics of this is she's scared to debate, and she's running from the debate, and she won't talk, and blah, blah, blah. And it's a strategy they seem to have picked, and uh, and at least some of the the debates seem to be like setups where it's like, you know, the Republican has basically set up the debate and invited Hobbs, but they have like a moderator that's, you know, essentially on their side and that that's not going to be fair. Right. But presumably there would be a way to find a good neutral debate ground and agree to it. Right. Uh, but she's not doing that and she's been falling behind because of that. And so I've seen all kinds of Democrats really upset about this in terms of like, right. 
she's frittering away. This was a good pickup opportunity and she's completely mishandling this and she's going to lose, you know, and we'll see if she loses or not, but she's clearly the last month or so has this, this strategy of not doing the debates has not been working, but anyway, Pennsylvania again. Okay. <laughs> my my point my my point was just that like there there a bunch of there's only actually only like four governors races that are really close. I listed them before: Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and maybe Oregon, which is yeah, kind of surprised the Republican has come up there last minute too. They weren't weren't particularly ahead before, but then you got like the next up is Georgia, and Stacey Abrams has you know, it's been almost flat. She's been behind by 5% the whole damn time. And there's been no significant movement in that race at all. And if you go beyond that, you know, Oklahoma, Florida, Texas, you know, you like Texas, Beto's seven points behind and has been the whole time. And, yeah. you know, this may be may, the end of both of them. If they, if they both, if they, if he loses again, I don't see him having much more of a career in politics. Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm not sure this was the right place to attack. And he sort of, you know, he hurt himself by his presidential run. Actually, his his run for president hurt him in Texas in terms of doing something else there. I see it. the The margin has narrowed a little bit recently, but he's still way behind. I said Abrams behind the the woman in Florida's behind. Like the, these are not actually looking competitive right now. It would take a major surprise for one of those to flip the other way. Okay, so Senate time, and this is the more interesting one in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And and, and I, I will say this as well. I'll just since I have it up in front of me, I'll do the close races here too. In the Senate, the close ones right now, at least according to poll averages, are Ohio, Nevada, North Carolina. Wisconsin and and maybe Georgia. By the time you get to Georgia, you're sort of on the verge of is it really close? Uh, Georgia right now, the Democrat is up by four percent. Then you got Florida, the Republicans add by five. Arizona, Republicans add by six. And then we get to Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania right now, uh, Fetterman is ahead by six percent, uh, which is down from where it was. Uh, you know, he was up over 10% for a short period of time in September. Uh, but Fetterman has still had a significant lead over Oz. Um, so tell us about this race, Ed, and late and yeah, the whole Fetterman's thing. Fetterman's an interesting guy. If you've, if you've seen pictures of him, he's, he's huge. He's about six, four or five, shaves his head, uh, and, uh, you know, dresses like a farmer, well, not a farmer. He dresses in t-shirt and uh, yeah. sweatshirts and hoodies and 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 shorts, even in the middle of the winter. Right. Uh, so he's he's kind of a rough and ready guy. Sort of Teddy Teddy Roosevelt, rough and ready, go out and fight them all. Uh, he got his start in politics when he went. He was, I think, he was teaching, and he went to this small town, and several people got shot in in drug and various other stuff. So he ran for mayor to clean things up. And for the next eight or nine years of his mayor time, uh, there were no more murders. So he <laughs> seems to have had a success. <clears throat> and that led to him getting elected as the uh, lieutenant governor. A lieutenant governor doesn't do a whole lot in this state. But one of the things that it does do, the lieutenant governor sits uh, as the chair of the board of pardons. Okay. 
And so one of Fetterman's uh, primary objectives is to legalize marijuana. Mm -hmm. And so he led the Board of Pardons in in a lot of pardons, especially of people convicted of marijuana usage and and various other drug usages. He also uh, uh, pardoned a, a fair number of people who had been found guilty 20, 30 years ago of uh, uh, second-degree murder, which would be like, uh, the guy who was driving the car and didn't know someone was going to get shot. And, but they get convicted of second-degree murder, and they go to jail for life. And so he pardoned uh, it, with the board. They put a number of those people out on parole. And they, by the way, have done well. They've been productive citizens. Uh, anyway, all of this is leading up to uh, the infamous Dr. Oz, who uh, I think he I think he used to be a wizard somewhere along the line, but then he went to medical school. <laughs> right. um, and in medical school, he learned that all the wizardry was good stuff, and so he kept on uh, practicing uh, uh, fallacious medicine. Is that the right word for it? That's one word. <laughs> on his TV show, he he pu- pushed all kinds of bizarre and dumb ads. He also uh, was for a long time he was. Uh, uh, preaching that you should eat at least 35 grams of fiber a day, which is a fair amount of fiber, but a lot of us do eat that much, by the way. Uh, it's th- nothing wrong with that. That's probably good. But against uh, uh, apple cider to cure your ulcers and uh, and so on and so forth, all sorts of stuff like that. Well, he's decided he should now, he's not doing a show anymore, so he should run for the Senate and he's running for Senate, he suddenly, uh, after on his show a number of times, said that he really thought that women should have control over what happens to his body. He now has become uh, abortion is murder, and uh, uh, and that's his, his pledge, and he's keeping to it. He uh, is highly opposed to the drug uh, the, the drug treatment facilities where they actually uh, provide a safe place to go and shoot up and then try to, to convince me to, to dry out eventually. He thinks this is just terrible. This is leading to people dying and, and yada, yada, yada. In spite of, I think it's New Jersey has has got some incredible data on those sorts of programs. It's either New Jersey or can, I forget which state, mm-hmm. but uh, has some incredible statistics on, on the successes in uh, – cutting down deaths, but also in getting people off of drugs. I think that's been shown repeatedly in multiple venues all over the world that sort of harm reduction strategies actually help quite a bit, whereas sort of cold turkey kind of strategies where you just, you know, either criminalize the the drug abuse or just say, oh, they've just got to stop that these, these fail. Whereas, uh, various techniques to at least help them be safe as as safe as possible like if you acknowledge okay they're going to do the thing that's dangerous but give let's the clean needle in the right dosage yeah give them the clean needle the right dosage make sure you've got testing to make sure this it's not mixed with something else all, all this kind of stuff uh actually helps quite a bit and helps you know it helps people not die while they're in a bad situation and which improves their chances of eventually, yeah. which improves their chances of eventually getting out of that situation because they're not dead. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's just come out 
Well, not recently. Uh, uh, and, uh, just about a week before the primary, Fetterman had a stroke. Yes. Uh, and the stroke was because he had uh, a cardiac problem, uh, atrial fibrillation, and I I don't remember what the uh, cardiomyopathy of some sort. Uh, but being the kind of big, rough, ready, tough guy he is, uh, he ignored the medical recommendations. And as a result, with atrial fibrillation, people form blood clots in the atrium of their heart and throw those off. And they uh, occasionally they'll have a stroke. Mm. And that's what caused his stroke. Uh, he now is following orders, supposedly, uh, <laughs> and is still recovering from the stroke. He still he apparently has some speech stuff. And for that reason, he's not giving a lot of speeches. Mm. Uh, he can read fairly well, read out loud fairly well. But if he's trying to talk extemporaneously, he doesn't do well. We don't know anyone who has that problem, do we? <laughs> anyway. well, well, actually, even in the interviews he's had, apparently his answering of questions is actually going pretty well. Yeah. Uh, he can do that. The, the, prob the, the problem that's come up more recently is that he has problems with he's just listening to people. Uh, if he's just listening to people, he has problems with properly synthesizing that and understanding what they're asking in real time. Yeah. Uh, and so the thing that came up this week was he did an interview with NBC where he had an assistive device that's basically a computer running speech recognition software, doing real-time closed captioning of the person that's talking to you so that he could read that um, during the interview. And, and the, the interview made a big deal out of this. And there was a statement made at some point by the person who interviewed uh, him that said something along the lines of, he did pretty okay when he was using the closed captioning, but when I talked to him before the interview, he seemed to be stumbling and not quite get it as well. Um, and one of the criticisms here, I mean, basically, he's using an assistive device. And so, like, the, and, and to, to correct for a disability, and apparently from even that reporter's statement, as long as he was using the assisted device, assistive device, for as long as he was using, right, <laughs> see, the, the whole speaking thing, um, according to even that interviewer, as long, as long as he was using the assistive device, he did fine. And he did badly without it. And so the whole disability community is up in arms about this. Because basically, like, well, that's the whole point of assistive devices, right? Isn't it? Though? Like, yeah. it, 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 if you tell me right now to go drive without my glasses, I'm not going to do very well. <laughs> do, should that reflect negatively on me? For lots of people uh, in doing this interviews, you, you know, you tell them, you know, take out your hearing aids. You can't do this interview with hearing aids on. That's cheating. You know, if you if you need a hearing aid to do this, then you're obviously not capable of doing the job. What? You know, you wouldn't say that. You, you, and people recognize that for sort of glasses and hearing aids and stuff like this. Same thing. If if somebody needs a cane to walk, you're not going to be like, oh, you can't possibly be senator because you need a cane to walk. And I well, hold it now, just a second. Yeah. We have a senator who accused. Tulsi Gabbard, I think it was Gabbard, isn't she the, the bilateral amputee? 
Like, no, 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 that's not, that's not the national anthem. That that's not Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard has other issues. Uh, you're pro Hirono, maybe? Are you? Th- oh, I forget who it is. Uh, okay, wait, wait. Oh, it's, the, it's the woman who's a, a bilateral amputee from from a war wound, by the way. And uh, the there, guy there were there, there were there were a number of here. Wait, let, let, let's get this right. Let's get okay. this right. Um, I'm looking up. There's a Wikipedia has an interesting list of politicians with disabilities, <laughs> and you might be thinking of uh, Tammy Duckworth. That's uh, it. She's Duckworth. the she's the senator for Illinois uh, who lost okay. both of her legs and damaged her right arm uh, from a rocket propelled grenade during the Iraq War. That's who yeah. you're thinking of. Anyway, he he said that she didn't stand for the national anthem. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, the whole notion of this, uh, and it's so, let's say he needs to have these closed captionings for the rest of his life. Like he's still in recovery. He may get better. He may not need it shortly, you know, but let's say he, he needs it for the rest of his life. So freaking what <laughs> that doesn't say he can't do this job. Yep. You know, uh, it, like, like I said, any more than you know, having to wear glasses or wearing a hearing aid or whatever. And, you know, given the age of people in the Senate, a bunch of them are wearing hearing aids. I can, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and, and, and even more probably need glasses, you know, so, or contacts or whatever, you know, it's, it's just, you know, if you actually had something now, I, I understand, like you can say, okay, well, then they, they, they can't like, while they're walking down the hall, have a quick conversation and blah, blah, blah. Okay, maybe not. Do you really need you to do can. that? They, you, you probably I think can. the Apple phone will do that now. It, it it will do that. But like let's say it doesn't. Like the whole point is like people who have disabilities of this sort and others can adapt what they do in reasonable ways and still do all kinds of stuff. And certainly the kind of work that you do as a senator, I is one of those things. It's, you know, th- maybe there's some things that he couldn't do, but this is not one of them. And apparently yeah. like even the interviewer, like I said, said, as long as he had his device, he did absolutely great. He answered. He, I mean, I, I don't know she wasn't probably that excited about it. She got criticized a lot for the way she framed everything, but, um, <laughs> for, but from everything I've heard, he, he, he does fine in those situations and is continuing to improve. Uh, you can judge him on all kinds of other things. If, if you're going to judge senators on how quick they are on their feet and how well they can talk, other people have pointed out, we've probably got at least two senators uh, who it's not quite clear they still have their mental faculties at all. Diane <laughs> Feinstein is certainly... Diane Feinstein and Chuck Grassley are the ones I've heard talked about the most. That. And- Grassley's about to get reelected because, <laughs> you know, they're because, frankly, they, they may well be well into sort of early, early or maybe even late stage dementia. You know, it's unclear that they actually know what's going on around them as opposed to their staff just doing everything for them. And I guess, OK, their staff is doing it for them. But if you're going to criticize Fetterman, you got to look at the Senate and figure that there are a whole bunch of people that probably are worse off than him. Uh, and certainly we've had a history of that in the past with with people who are barely functional, you know, being brought in to do like 
one vote because they needed them to win, but like they clearly had no idea what was going on. Yeah. This kind of stuff has happened before. I'm not saying that's good. I'm saying, you know, but clearly Fetterman is in much better shape than that. And so well, in any event, he's, uh, he's been very hesitant to uh, participate in a debate. Yeah. So we Although have he agreed debate. to one, right? It hasn't happened yet, but he, he has agreed to one, right? Uh, yeah. October 25th, by which mm-hmm. point most of us will have already voted. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, look, I, it, it, maybe his situation will get worse as it goes on. Maybe he will have, uh, uh, a re- a recurrence or a second stroke or have another heart attack or whatever. Uh, there are all kinds of health issues that could happen. Uh, but this other guy, um, you know, Oz has, I don't know. You, you look at the alternatives. Uh, it, it still seems clear Fetterman's better. I mean, we Fetterman also had issues with that guy. He threatened with a gun like years ago. Yeah. I, 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 I you know, we've only heard one side of that story. I don't know what happened, but he, he chased the guy down and, and uh, pulled the gun on him. He didn't shoot him. Oh, uh, wow, that's good. Didn't beat him up or anything like that. He, you know, <clears throat> uh, so, it, you know, who knows what the story, they haven't, they haven't come out with a counter to that, but it's, it's, it is a little disturbing a, a, a event, Yeah, but he's not going to be doing that anymore. <laughs> I guess not. Well, the one thing I would say that is potentially valid on criticism is the notion that he should potentially could be more open with exactly what's going on with his health and release more detailed records and things like that. I can see that being a legitimate case where it's like, okay, you say X, Y, Z about how you're doing. Uh, Why don't you let your doctors, you know, speak openly and release the detailed records and test results and stuff like that. And so that other independent doctors can, review the material and say, you know, are, are you painting a much sunnier picture than is real? Um, or are you basically being straight here? Um, and it would be good to have external validation of that rather than just sort of a trust me. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's a little disturbing, but, uh, (laughs) but it's the kind of thing, frankly, that like most people, I don't think are going to, it, you know, if you're democratic leaning, you're not going to go vote for Dr. Oz because of this, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, um, it may what, take what some we people. have though, Sam, is that we've got about uh, rough odds. Uh, we have about uh, 40% of the people who are going to vote for a Republican, even if he's uh, raped, raped people and yep. shot people and done, you know, had sex with kids and 40% who are going to vote for Democrat even if he's raped people and killed people and yeah. done that. And then we have that other 20% in the middle. And and this might scare off some of them. It, it might scare off some of them. It may make others say, hey, whatever. Who knows what, what they're going to do. But uh, uh, that group in the middle have a strong voice, which which brings out what, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Yang, uh, Andrew Yang has been pushing that, that new forward party. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. And it is, it's kind of a joke on the other yes, hand. It is. The main premise of that party is that all primaries at least should be open primaries with right choice voting. And yeah. He's, he makes a very strong point that that would get rid of some of these asshole far rights and far left people because people would, would rank choice and they, 
They would vote for who they think is best. Well, and I think that's definitely like rank choice voting and uh, open mixed primaries, uh, wh- whether they're rank choice or whether they're jungle primaries like we have in, here in Seattle or there are various other variants of this. But the the primary thing specifically of rank choice uh, is that it makes it much harder for the extremist to win. Yes. You know, because as, as long as you start out with a fairly open field, uh, you know, the extremists will get like the the 20 or 30% or whatever that they want, but then that's not enough. You need to convince enough of those middle people to get you over the bar uh, in order to, to win. And uh, the, the, the whole notion of that is that if, if implemented in a smart way, and they're, they're, uh, part of the controversy about this is that there are like multiple subtly different versions of this. Like, do you rank everybody and just eliminate all from the bottom one, two, three, four, five, or do you rank everybody and then only the top five make it to the second round or the top three or something. And then you do something or, you know, or do you, how far down the list do you rank? Do you only get to vote for your top three or do you vote more? And all of these are subtle differences that change the dynamics of how it works. Um, and also, um, are different all levels better than our present, but the, and they're also different levels of confusing to the voter. Like yeah. a, a lot of voters complain, like it's easy to pick one person, but what you're really going to ask me to like select my first choice, second choice, third As choice, I understand fourth it, choice, you don't have choice. To. You can just vote for one person. No, no, you can stop, but then you sort of then you get discarded after the first round, right? So it's it's the system works the best if everybody fully ranks but of course you know lots of people aren't going to and so each round you lose some people but yeah so that it it is definitely an interesting thing uh i i am i am in favor of the i like like the idea of the open primary with everybody of both parties and then some mechanism to whittle them down that encourages people that in order to do well in that system, you have to you you have to moderate a little bit. You you can't be any extreme. Um, I think that's healthier for our system. Um, and that you know, people have also said another way to do that is multi-member districts uh, is also a possibility with proportional representation. Uh, that's that's harder to do and has its own problems. But all of these are things that like our current system is so aligned to in all like, especially if you start talking about the House. I know we were talking about the Senate uh, earlier, but especially when you're talking about like House or state legislative districts or anything where we've districted it in such a way that almost all of the districts are non-competitive on a yeah. party basis. They're what either 80% are non-competitive or something. Yeah. They're either a Republican district or a democratic district. And you know, the outcome, the primary is the only thing that matters. The general election, everybody knows what's going to happen. Uh, and that's unhealthy because it, it, it makes it so people don't have to try to go for the middle. Um, so well, that that was a tangent, but uh, yeah. The, <laughs> uh, otherwise, besides that, the forward prob- 
party seems to have no opinions on anything and no real support. And so it, it's going to disappear and be meaningless uh, soon enough if it hasn't already. Um, but uh, oh, the one other thing on Fetterman versus Oz that I wanted to bring up is that from what I can tell as an outsider, there's quite a lot of the debate here has actually been about how Dr. Oz isn't actually from Pennsylvania. Right. What, 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 what's going on there? He, well, he's a New Jersey resident. He's been there for years and years. Uh, in, I think about a, um, almost a year ago, he moved to his father-in-law's basement, maybe. Uh, and he's okay. bought a house. So he has, I mean, he's as much a Pennsylvania resident as Hillary was a New York resident, in all mm-hmm. honesty. Carpet bagging is a long held American tradition. Yep. But apparently, but, but sometimes, like, no one cares, and sometimes it becomes a big issue. So it apparently is a big deal this time. Why? Fetterman has made a big, their campaign is making a really big issue of the fact. I mean, he, he hired a plane on. On one of the, it must have been Labor Day weekend, he had a plane fly along the New Jersey coast. It said, "Welcome home, Doctor Oz," <laughs> <laughs> with it, you know, one of those big trailer yep, things. Yep. Yeah. So he, they're they're making a huge issue of it, and I think it is an issue. Right? The guy is he's not a Pennsylvania. Why didn't he run in Pens- in New Jersey? That's where he lives. That's where he pays taxes. That's where he's made his millions. The other thing that. <clears throat> Is, it, along that same line is that uh, uh, Fetterman says, "I live. this is the house I live in, and I've lived there for a long time. He did not take the state mansion that they have for the lieutenant governor. He lived in, in his own house. But hmm. he says, here's Dr. Oz's house. Oh, no, I'm sorry. There's eight of them. One of them is finally in Pennsylvania or something to that effect. He's got houses all around the damn world. Well, because he's a rich man. Yeah. You know, and and, uh, one of the things Fetterman has been doing on this is just being really good about like the stunt events, the social media, all of this in terms of uh, the new the New Jersey thing for sure. But also in other areas, just being very nimble and responsive to, you know, things that Oz says or does. I mean, there was at least one attack that Oz made on Fetterman that that Fetterman was immediately like, yes, absolutely. This is true. It's me and made all kinds of memes, memes about it. Cause Oz was trying to make it a negative thing. And he immediately, oh, you know what? That, that was the lettuce thing. The which thing? The lettuce. Lettuce. Oz, oh, that was, that's a different one. Not the one I was Oz, thinking about. Oz was yeah. in a grocery store and he's going through and he's picking up lettuce and green peppers and turnips and, and all sorts of stuff. And he says, Crudite. look at the prices of this stuff to make a, uh, Oh, what the hell's the name of the... I think uh, it was Crudite? Uh, yeah, Crudite board. And I, Fetterman was out the next day saying, in in Pennsylvania, we call this stuff a lettuce bowl or a salad bowl. A, ve- a, a, a veggie tray. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it, it, it looks like Fetterman's uh, got a fairly decent lead still, but it has been slipping a little bit. Um, no polls in a couple weeks though. So I imagine we'll be getting more soon. Um, but, and we'll, you know, I I don't know. We'll see. Um, the, this is, this is the Democrats biggest chance of a pickup, um, 
in terms of if you look at all of these, because the, the current senator was Republican, right? Yes. And uh, so, like, if you look at all the different races, this seems to be the one where the Democrats have the best chance of a pickup. Uh, there are a few others, like, you know, I went through all the states that are basically a toss up. Uh, so obviously the Democrats could potentially pick up some others there. But this is the one where it's like the the Democrats chances of retaining the Senate really hang on Pennsylvania. Like if, if they lose Pennsylvania, they've likely lost all of those others, too. Um, so, you know, the, Pen- the independent in Utah apparently is is polling pretty well in McMullen. And the Democrats are supporting him, although they they are not running a Democrat candidate. Yeah, they, they specifically didn't run a, a Democratic right. candidate knowing McMullen had a better shot there that no Democrat was actually going to win. Um, you know, we, we talked about this one a little bit last week um, or maybe. Yeah, we did talk about this a little bit last week um, there. McMullen so far in the entire history of this race has led in only two polls. But one of those two polls was the most recent one re- released. You yep. know, um, most of the others show Lee in the single digits, but then there are a few polls that have Lee in double digits. So the 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 poll average right now has Lee ahead by six at, in Utah. Um, but you know, maybe there's a surprise there. Like I said last week, uh, the most interesting scenario for what happens in the Senate. And by interesting, I don't mean like this is what I would like to have happen or would be a positive thing, but would be 50 Republicans, 49 Democrats and McMullen. Yep. Because he has said he would, he will not caucus with the Democrats. He will not caucus with the Republicans because like most of the time when independents actually make it into the Senate, they caucus with one of the parties. Like right now, you've got uh, King in Maine and Sanders in Vermont who are officially independents and not Democrats. But they caucus with the Democrats. Yep. They act like they're Democrats. They they vote for the Democratic leadership, all of that kind of stuff. So effectively, they can call themselves independents what they want, as, as much as they want, but they they act like Democrats. Yep. If McMullen actually said, I, you know, when, when they vote for leadership at the beginning to organize the Senate, he says, I, revo- I refuse to vote for the Democrat. I refuse to vote for the Republican. And they can't get to 51 votes to, set, to do the organization without him. Well, then interesting things will happen and McMullen would have leverage. Uh, it, 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 like I said last week, they, they would figure something out, but it would be a weird scenario. Um, but um yeah, it, it's 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 clearly still most likely that you know the Republican is going to win in Utah, but um, I guess you never know. Right now, right now, five thirty eight gives McMullen a seven percent chance of winning. So seven is not zero, but <laughs> it's not very high either. That's true. And the, the, the other one I saw uh, some data today that sounded like uh, uh, Rubio is behind in Florida. No, no. Um, so Ru- let's look, let's look at this. I bring up the page on Florida. Um, there, if, if you look at recent polls, there was in, in the since August, there has been exactly one poll that shows Rubio versus Demings 
an even race. Every other poll has Rubio ahead. Uh, the the polling average right now has Rubio ahead by four point six. Um, oh. But but there hasn't been a new poll in a couple weeks, so who knows? Maybe there's been some weakness. But this is another one of the ones where it's it's been relatively well. If if you go back to um, August, you know Rubio was only ahead by like three percent. In fact, it, it even dipped under three percent for a little while in the polling averages, and it's now up to four point six. So you know Demings has actually been falling behind a little bit, but you know you had one poll showing a tie, yeah. You know, so maybe it's closer than you think, but. Uh, yeah, Rubio is still clearly favor- favored here. There hasn't been there hasn't been anything showing uh, Demings, the the Democrat. Uh, a- there's been absolutely nothing showing her actually ahead, let alone a enough polls that would make you think that's what was going on. Now, again, you know this goes back to what you know Yvonne and I talked about last week, and you know is there some sort of systematic polling error that would affect all of these races? Um, I don't know, like, and we won't know until after election day. Uh, my tendency was to say, look, if you look at the last few cycles of this kind of stuff, if anything, polls have consistently overestimated Democrats and underestimated Republicans, which is why I'm sort I'm sort of taking the pessimistic from a democratic point of view, the pessimistic point of view that unless I see the Democrat ahead in the polling averages by like three or 4%, I'm not like mentally thinking they're actually ahead. I'm thinking, yeah, if it says Democrat up by two, I'm like Republicans winning. You know, you know, that's not good enough. Republicans winning. Um, whereas Yvonne is thinking, Hey, we, we only have a few data points, but for the special elections and things like that that happened earlier this year, the Democrats tended to outperform the polls. And specifically, since the Dobbs decision, since the Dobbs decision, the Democrats significantly overperformed their polls. And if that's true, then and if that's true across the board, then maybe these polls are underestimating Democrats this time. In which case, the Democrats will do better than the polls are saying. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm sort of taking the pessimistic view sort of just philosophically that uh, it's better to assume the worst and be happily surprised if something better happens versus assume the best and be devastated when it doesn't happen. So uh, so I, I'm in the pessimistic camp right now. I'm like, yeah, the, the Democrats are not going to pull it out in the House and, you know, and at best, the Senate's going to stay 50-50 and, you know, hell, maybe maybe the Democrats lose the Senate too. I don't know. You know, at, at, at the beginning of the year, I, I, you know, in our prediction show, I predicted the Democrats would lose both the House and Senate. Um, it, you know, as as we've said, like the the the, the modelers, 538 and Economist, are both basically at... Um, you know, House, two-thirds chance Republican, one-third chance Democrat, Senate, exactly the reverse of that, two-thirds chance Democratic, one-third chance Republican. But if you're talking two-thirds, one-third, you know, those are both big enough that it's it's not quite a coin toss. It's a little bit of a weighted coin in both cases. But 
in both the House and the Senate, it's really like, you know, throw something in the, throw something up in the air and see what lands. It's like they, they could go either way. They could easily go either way. But I suspect that the polling is, if, if the polling is off, it's going to be off in one direction. Like either we're consistently underestimating the Democrats or we're consistently underestimating the Republicans. And so, you know, that will apply across many, many races in both the House and Senate. Yep. Anyway, those are my thoughts. You got anything else, Ed? Nope, that's about it. Okay, well then let's wrap this up. Uh, it's time for the stuff at the end of the show. Um, go to our website. It's curmudgeons-corner.com. You can find all the ways to contact us. Twitter, Facebook, um, email, all these kinds of things. Uh, you can get at myself or Yvonne, uh, who's usually here, um, or, you know, contact the show itself. We have an email, you know, whatever. We, ha- we have an email for the show. We have a Facebook for the show, but we have our own independent Twitters. We never sh- set up a Twitter for the show. Um, if if you want to get to Ed, I'll happily relay any messages to, re- <laughs> to Red. You're not Red. I, you're Ed. Yeah, um, I do not do Twitter. Ed does not do Twitter because his thoughts cannot fit in 240 characters or whatever it is. Well, it's more than that. I just find it boring. I tried it again because you and Yvonne are both on it. And I tried it. And after about three days, I said, I can't do this. Yeah. Like there's there's a certain mindset you have to get in. And, you know, we've had this argument before. Like I can't stand the official Twitter. I have to use a third party program to use it. And then in order to make use of it in any sort of interesting way, you really have to carefully curate a list of people to follow who are interested. And like my experience of Twitter is I follow 2000 people and at any moment I glance up at or, or, or poke into Twitter and, and I sort of dip into the river of what are people talking about right now? There's no attempt to like see everything that's posted by anybody or anything like that. It's just dip in and what are folks talking about right now and glance through it and, you know, that kind of thing. It's a, it's a different thing. In any case, if you want to get in touch with Ed, you can pass a message through me. I'll happily pass it along. And um, what else? Oh, you can see our whole archives there. You can go back and listen to all our episodes. Um, you can donate on our Patreon. Patriot, uh, our Patreon is linked from there and you can give us a little money to help out with the show. Uh, you know, the show runs a deficit right now. We're getting like 15 bucks a month from the Patreon, which isn't all that much. And since I'm now using like a couple different programs to do things, I, I'm probably paying out like 30 bucks a month. So like we're at like, a, you know, we're losing money every week, but you know, oh, well, I you need I, to sell some ads sell some ads. Yeah. We, we don't have quite enough listeners to make that economical that for anybody to actually <laughs> want to buy, buy ads. Uh, but you know, whatever, you know, it's, it is what it is. We do this for fun, you know, is the honest truth of it. Um, but if you, if you donate $2 a month or more at our Patreon, oh, and uh, you, you can get a, at different levels, you'll get postcards, mugs, blah, blah, blah. At $2 a month or more, or if you just contact us in any of those other ways and ask nicely, we will invite you to our Convention's Corner Slack where myself, Yvonne, Ed, and several other people are regularly on there exchanging links, having conversations, etc. And it would be great to have more of you there. So there you go. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, 
Yvonne usually does this part, but something interesting from the Slack that we have not talked about on the show. I'll do one that I posted on the on the Slack uh, just a, uh, a few hours back, which is for years and years and years, you know, I I never got polled for any of these polls. Well, I shouldn't say that. I might have gotten polled many times, but I do not answer unknown numbers on my phone ever. Ever, ever. And even if they leave a voicemail, at this point, I listen to voicemails like a couple hours, not a couple hours, a couple months after they get left. I do not check my voicemail often. It is not like if you leave me a voicemail, you know, good luck. You know, you're not going to get back from me that way. So the pollsters may have been trying to contact me by phone and that just didn't work. But a couple months ago, uh, I got a text. And, you know, normally I'm suspicious of texts from numbers that I don't know, but this was a text that said it was from PPP, Public Policy Polling, which is a pollster that, you know, is well known. I know them. It looked kind of legit. I was a little suspicious before I clicked on the link. I'm like, you know, you don't just click on random links people send you. That's not wise. There's all kinds of reasons not to do that. Um, so I took a couple of precautions the first time looking at the URL and blah, blah, blah. And it, it wasn't actually to PPP. It was to some like research.net or something, but I looked them up and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I ended up doing the poll. And surprising me, it was a poll that included my wife's race. Oh yeah. Ed was going to ask about my wife's race. It's, 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 it's going well. She was endorsed by the, the local paper. Um, you know, she had another endorsement interview with the Seattle paper today. Uh, but her, and her opponent actually showed up to that. Her opponent has been not showing up to lots of things, but he did show up to that. And, uh, so we don't know who they're going to endorse yet. We'll find out before the election, I presume. Uh, but uh, her, her campaign's been doing well. She had uh, she did well enough in the primary that um, we think we're probably in a good shape for the general because in, in Seattle, in, in Washington State, not Seattle, in Washington State, generally because of the jungle primary format, if the jungle primary was only two candidates and this, therefore the same two candidates end up in the general election, the results usually don't change too much from the primary to the general. So we think we're in good shape, but we're not assuming anything. She's still having events all the time, doorbelling, going around, talking to people, all the kind of stuff. Uh, the, the, this you know, more stuff is going to be happening in the next few weeks uh, before the election. So anyway, that's going well. But the point was this poll, the poll that I got was actually for my wife's race. And I'm like, wow, where's this coming from? And she had to investigate. And it it, it turned out one of the Democratic organizations was doing this for a bunch of uh, the the House candidates and she was included. And we got to see the results of it, which was pretty cool, even though it's a private poll. But after this one poll, I started getting polled, like, I swear it's like once a week, at least, maybe more. I'm getting polls by text that, you know, when you, you get the text and then you click on it, it goes, a web, goes to a website and asks you a bunch of questions. And I've had them from at least three different companies. And I think I've had like five polls so far. And they were all on local Washington state races. Uh mm. Some of them, at least two for my wife's race, maybe at three now. I got a new one that included her race just today. Um, at least 
three that included my wife's race and uh, the the other local district races were in the 44th legislative district. There are two, ho- two state house races and a state senate race, uh, but also ones for, you know, the senator here who's running for re-election, uh, Senator Murray, um, her race. We got one for our house representative. Um, and all, all of them also include like general, like, you know, questions about like Joe Biden and Donald Trump and whether you're Republican or Democrat and your demographics and all this kind of, those kinds of questions are all included in all of them as well. But I just found it interesting that I answered one of these and then I'm just getting flooded with them. And I don't know, like I speculated that, you know, once I answered one, they just shared, Oh, I got a sucker. We got a sucker. Who's actually going to answer these. Let's like send them all of them. Um, I suspect it's probably not quite that, but rather that I ended up on some list that all of these companies are using because it, you know, if there was such a list of like, hey, these guys respond all the time, let's ask them all the time. You'd expect that to be something that the one company would keep. But like I said, I've got these from several companies. So I suspect it's the other way around that I got on some list that all of these subscribe to. But in any case, I'm not now I'm apparently getting polls all the time. Now, frankly, like when they're polling me on my wife's race, I'm like, look, I don't know what the sample size here is, but having one of the person be the candidate's husband, I'm not sure that's really representative. Like, you know, you know, do you approve or disapprove of your wife? You know, what am I going to say here? You know, (laughs) well, it is anonymous. You're right there. So, so, you know, but yeah, I, but I, you know, I'll answer all the questions and uh, well, of course I support my wife. Thank you very much. Am I really the right random sample for that? Probably not, but whatever. I've also found that at this point I am so, um, polarized as they say, like I've said on the show before, like 10, 15 years ago, I was much more independent and willing to consider each candidate on an individual basis, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now it's not like that. Like if, if you're caucusing with the Republicans, I'm not even going to talk to you. Even if you are a sort of quote unquote, reasonable, moderate Republican, the fact that you're willing to associate with the larger views of that party are immediately like, sorry, nope. You're, uh, if, if you would give them like the leadership, then I don't care what your views are on any particular issue anyway. Like, um, but it's interesting to be polled and interesting to see the questions they ask. I mean, obviously with my stuff on election graphs and stuff, I've looked at the results of lots and lots of polls, but I've never been on this end of it. And so I found that, uh, actually kind of fun. Like, Although the one thing I'll say is no wonder their response rates are so damn low. They ask like 20 questions. It it like takes 10 minutes to go through one of these. Maybe not quite 10. If if I zoomed through it, I could do it a lot faster. I'm slowed down by the fact I'm I'm like actually interested enough. I'm taking screenshots of each question and blah, blah, blah. That slows me down. But even if I wasn't doing that, it would still take me a few minutes and some patience. And I'm like, you know, most people would, even if they were interested in do this, are going to bail after the second or third question, you know? That's it. That was that was the interesting thing that if you had been on the curmudgeon's corner slack, you would have seen that already. But if you're not, you missed out. I'm sorry. You know, 
I, I even po- I posted a PDF of one of the uh, of the most recent poll that I got so that people could look. Anyway, that's it. Hey, thank you, Ed, for filling in. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll do it again someday. Um, in the meantime, uh, if all goes as planned, Yvonne will be back next week. So everybody have uh, have a great week. Stay safe. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. All righty. Take care. Take care. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone. Say bye again, Ed. Bye. <laughs> bye, all. <laughs>